You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back my fellow shark here to another episode of Deep Dives with Sharks. I'm the host here, my name is Alex, and I got the suggestion for this shark a while back and I pretty much lost it almost immediately. I did take a little while to get this one out, so in that span, I'm sorry, I really forget who asked me to do this shark, but I do apologize for not reaching out and seeing if you wanted a shout-out, but I do hope that at least having this episode makes up for that. I do have a real quick shout-out, though, for Chelsea, who I work with, and the little Chelsizzles, who I got to meet this past weekend, as they did not realize that their mom actually knew me in real life, so... This is the proof. The weird guy that told you a shark fact at work also knows your mom in real life. Kind of cool. But I do have a few sharks on the list to do next, and I'm always happy to add more. Uh, so if you guys want to send them over to me, just send them on the social medias, either at Deep Dives with Sharks on Instagram or on Twitter at Deep Dive Sharks. The shark that we're going to be doing for this week is the frilled shark. And off rip, I did know a few things about this shark and was just waiting for someone to suggest it. And when it finally was suggested, I was so excited. Could not wait to look more into these guys. Now, I did learn something pretty quickly. That's that there are two species of frilled shark. One's called the frilled shark and the other is called the South African frilled shark. Now, there is one main difference. Well, actually, two differences between the two species of shark main one being that it's when they reach sexual maturity. The South African becomes more mature at a smaller size, and their head length and mouth width are a little bit smaller than the typical frilled shark, which is why they are identified as a different species. Hence, they're also South African because they're found off the coast of South Africa. Now, these sharks are about six and a half feet long, or about two meters, and can weigh up to 200 pounds. They prefer the deep waters as they are known as one of the many alien sharks because they look freaky and that's where we find freaky looking fish and decided to call them alien sharks. They dwell at about 1,750 meters or 5,150 feet at their extremes but typically will be found about 1,200 meters or 3,900 feet. And in parts of Japan, they can be even shallower at about 50 to 200 meters or 160 to 660 feet. They are found in pockets all over the world across many countries, including Japan, Spain, England, Australia, France, the east coast of Africa, as well as South Africa, Portugal, America, Canada, Brazil, Mexico, and Sweden and Denmark are included as well. They will also be found in deep pockets of the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. They have an eel-like body that is brown and has a dorsal fin that is set just before their tail. They also have most of their fins around their tail, excluding their pectoral fins, which are placed right behind their head, which is why they have that eel-like appearance, because they have the two fins right after their head and then two anal fins right before their tail. The rest of it's just long, slender boy. But they have very small fins when compared to the rest of their body, and their fins appear even smaller, being rounded, similar to a nurse shark's fins, unlike a mako that has pointier fins. They also have six gill slits, compared to many other sharks' five gill slits, that's one extra, which helps to get more water and oxygen, especially down in deeper water. They have a very flat and wide head that helps to hold a wide variety of prey, and also hold a very wide mouth. They can open very wide as well. That can also help them to eat prey that is larger than them. 
They also have the creepiest smile among sharks, especially because their teeth are so wild. Instead of going side to side in rows like our teeth or any other shark's teeth, these guys have teeth that go front to back in lines, and they have over 300 of them. They're also trident-shaped, which helps with gripping and snagging prey that might be nearby. These teeth are really, really weird looking too because they kind of look like cornrows in the mouth of the shark rather than being like a typical smile. It'd be like if they just went straight back. But the teeth are arranged in 19 to 28 rows along the top jaw and 21 to 29 rows along the bottom jaw. When these sharks hunt, they move especially eel-like by scrunching their body and almost crawling motion through the water. They'll extend their body and lunge at prey in order to catch them in a quick movement. They tend to eat smaller sharks, cephalopods, and bony fish, which is a reoccurring theme among a lot of the sharks that I've covered, give or take crustaceans here and there. Now, a little sidebar real quick, I do want to go over what I mean when I mention some of these animals, as I don't think that's something I've done in the past. But cephalopods are going to be things like squid or octopus, crustaceans are crabs, mollusks, things with shells typically, and bony fish are simply that, fish with bones, so rockfish, tuna, snapper, etc., which I'm hoping I am right with those three because I know I grabbed at least one of them out of random, and I'm hoping I should have looked into that more. But, you know, it's a shark podcast, not a fish podcast. We'll figure it out, which sharks are fish. Anyway, back on track now. The, fr <laughs> the frilled shark is also known as a living fossil because of their prehistoric look, and that can date back to over 80 million years ago. Now, this doesn't mean the sharks lived uh, to be 80 million years old. They typically have to be 25 years old, but they did evolve into their current form 80 million years ago. And the reason why they're prehistoric is because they look so freakishly prehistoric. But also, I am now just realizing that I am old as all get out in frilled shark years, so it's kind of neat. But these guys are also ovoviviparous, which for those of you that do not remember what that means, that means that they have eggs internally that will hatch after uh, the baby shark eats the yolk sac and then once it hatches they will continue to feed inside until they are born uh, with this the shark can have anywhere from 2 to 15 pups in a litter although the typical amount is about six for reference the average human has one baby per pregnancy but can apparently go all the way up to eight in the case of octomom which does anyone remember that because what a time to be alive that was but scientists first observed the frilled shark in the water in 2006 and classified it as near-threatened in 2016 due to its low gestation period, but that was reclassified to least concern in 2018. Now, I have been doing a lot of sharks that are falling under the least concern category recently, which I'm really for it, which means the populations might be rebounding a little bit or I'm just on a streak of sharks that aren't being hunted as much. These guys are definitely on the least concern because of how deep they are. Typically, people don't tend to go 5,000 feet into the water, and usually they're not found near coast as much, so it'd be really weird for a human to interact with this shark in the wild, unless they're searching for it. I did also come across a fact that said that these guys have vertebrae, which means they have a spine, which pretty sure many other sharks don't since they're simply cartilaginous fish. Now, I could have misunderstood the information presented to me, so if anyone knows any better, please feel free to reach out to me on any of the social medias I've listed before. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or if there's anything else you want to add to this, please do let me know. There wasn't too, too much I could find on it outside of what I presented, but with this, that's what I have for the frilled shark. Uh, not too, too much, but still really interesting to read about these guys. I was really excited to get that suggestion. And please do send them over to me on my social medias, and I am more than happy to do them. 
But moving on to shark safety. This week, I kind of wanted to reco- uh, recover. Re-go over. I'm really fumbling words here. <laughs> to go over something I went over earlier. And that is how to safely fish with sharks and remove hooks. Because I did talk about this in episode 2. I believe it was the first hammerhead episode that was kind of a hodgepodge. And then I redid it. But with this, I did come across a video that made me want to go over this. The video that I saw was someone was fishing on a boat. They had caught a shark. It was rather small. They did leave it in the water, which was a really smart thing to do. But then they made one pretty fatal flaw, which was they weren't using the right hook, which I assume they weren't fishing for shark at that point. They just happened to hook one. And then instead of just cutting the line or anything like that, he decided he was going to reach in and grab it. And then the shark lost his pinky. So apparently this podcast hasn't been shared enough where people aren't losing pinkies. So feel free to tell a friend. Really happy to have him here at Deep Dives with Sharks. Be really great. Bring him along. More shark here to the group. But with this, I did want to say that I want to go over this again because there are some things that you can do to make sure you're not going to lose a digit or a limb while fishing because a lot of people go fishing for sharks and tag them and things like that and they still have all their limbs. But first things first, I love sharks with every fiber of my being, and I have a thresher shark tattooed on me, but I will still 150,000% always tell you that your safety is more important than saving a shark. If you cannot safely remove a hook or get the shark back in the water without being bit or possibly losing a limb or digit, anything like that, stay away. There's never a reason to put yourself in unnecessary risk just to save a shark. Now, I will say if you can do something, go ahead and try to do it, but also don't hurt yourself. Getting into this, always important to have the right tools when fishing for sharks, including circle hooks, heavy line, and pliers to remove the hook without having to get your hand in their mouth. Another common topic that we hit on this podcast, keep your hands out of a shark's mouth. Never really ends up well for anyone. The next bits I took directly from the website, uh, which I did forget to mention, was texas.gov here. They had a whole article on how to safely catch and release sharks which is kind of interesting because I did not realize Texas has sharks, but I guess they do have the Gulf of Mexico, so that would make sense now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, sorry, that was a sort sudden come to realization there. But <laughs> also shout out to Texas. They officially are the highest state listenership uh, in the U.S., so congrats, guys. You passed my home state, which is now in third. So Texas, Florida, Maryland. Good job, guys. But with this, I did take this directly from texas.gov here, and here's great ways to keep the shark safe if it is caught. So first things first, you just want to leave it in the water if possible. Now, if that is impossible, try to minimize the time that the fish is out of the water, just long enough to take photos and measure the fish. If possible, keep the shark from thrashing without using a net. If a net is required, use a rubber mesh landing net instead of a brace of nylon. You want to lay it horizontally, do not place it on a hot surface, or try to place it on a wet towel if possible. Use a wet rag or glove or wet hands before handling the fish. We don't want to try to dry it out. Also, cover the shark's eyes to calm it. Usually, if they just see darkness, they kind of mellow out. Also, don't put your fingers in its eyes or gills. This will just irritate it. I've mentioned this very first episode. Don't punch a shark. Don't poke it in the eye. Don't jab it in the gills. None of that's going to be great. Uh, of course, I did say that you're supposed to guide it by aiming for the gills. That doesn't mean shove a finger in there. Like, all you're supposed to do is just kind of like where their gills are, just kind of like push them away that way. They will get away from you at that point. But if they're already on land, don't start poking them in places. They're going to lunge and bite you and just make it really difficult. But 
Now this is going back to not taken verbatim from the website. But in the case that the hook is swallowed, simply just cut the line. Don't try digging your hand inside of the shark to get it back. You might want to also bring bolt color cutters so that way if you can see it and you can get those in the shark's mouth, it might bite down on them, but it's not going to do too much. Now, if the hook can be reached, you can try to cut as much of the hook out as possible because once again, you want to try to minimize the amount of damage to the shark without putting yourself in danger. Now, remember that you are still dealing with a living shark, so don't just try to chop up its insides because that's not going to be great. You probably would rather have someone, you'd probably rather have a hook in you than just chopped up insides with bolt cutters. So try to make sure that you're doing this smartly, safely, and you're actually trying to get the hook out, not just make a Picasso of a shark. But remember, uh, try to remove the hook the same way that it went in. Don't just grip it and rip it. Doesn't work very well. That's going to cause a lot of damage. Of course, if that is the only option you have and you're running out of time and you can see it in the lip, but the shark's fighting, just get it out if you can. Uh, you want to try to be gentle, but you also might have to use some force. So like I just said, try to be smooth with it, minimize the damage. But I mean, as I mentioned earlier in episodes as well, sometimes sharks are going to be jerks. They're not going to understand what's happening. They're not going to be like, oh, they're being nice and removing this. They're thinking you're going to hurt them more. So they're freaking out. But do not put your fingers anywhere in the shark's mouth. I don't care how small or cute it looks. Even if it's an epaulette shark, a dwarf lantern shark, which is the smallest, a cookie cutter shark, because I did an episode on them. They'll take your finger right off. They may look adorable to you, but if you start putting your finger, it's like if you put a finger in a growling dog's mouth, it's going to bite you too. But difference is sharks have much sharper teeth. So if you catch a shark, don't put your hand in its mouth. Uh, but once the shark is free of the hook, just get yourself out of the way. It's going to be trying to get away probably the entire time. So what you got to do is once that hooks out, let it go. It's going to scurry back in the depths. You're going to have all your fingers. You're going to have hopefully your hook back. Not going to have to get others. Now, of course, with that, bring backup hooks or tools in case you drop anything in the ocean or if you have to cut that hook free because a shark would probably rather go on with a hook than be dead. But with this as well, we've all been on a boat or on a dock and accidentally dropped something over. So it's a good shot that you might lose those pliers by accident or you might lose the bolt cutters, something like that. If you have something extra, try to bring it with you. But if someone actually throws something off the boat on purpose, yell at them because we're trying not to pollute our waterways here. Let's try to keep it clean. Also, uh, know when you are or are not needed uh, in this hook extraction. So if people are already there and they're removing the hook, don't crowd over them. Don't stand on top of them, taking up all their space. It's time sensitive. You want to try to get the hook out as fast as possible, but also safely. So you don't want to just do a bunch of harm and then have more harm done because people can't do what they need to do. It's okay to be supportive and grab things like that. I'm not saying jump overboard. But I am saying, you know, take a step back. Watch from a distance. You don't need to be standing right on top of people. Now, that being said, too, I also, if I ever caught a shark, would probably be incredibly excited about it. So I completely understand wanting to be as close as possible and look at it. But at the same time, you don't want to do too much damage. So just know when you're needed, know when not, and see what you can do if, you, if you're not needed at the time. But that is what I had for the shark safety point of this podcast. Of course, if you have anything you want me to go over, I do have another idea for the next episode, which I'm hoping will come out in two weeks. But we'll see what happens with that. Uh, of course, if you guys want something else in the meantime, I'm more than happy to add to the list as well. And once again, send it to me on any of the social medias or maybe one day I'll set up an uh, email for this. We'll find out.
But going on to the shark news. Now, I do want to start off by saying that I think I unintentionally picked two of the scariest <laughs> shark stories possible. But right now, it's getting a summer. People are going to the beach. People are graduating. They're doing wild things. So there's a little bit of shark news here. Um, although we'll, we'll get into it and I'll explain a little bit more later. But the first one that I have, I did change the title a little bit because I am trying to protect the identity of this person. But it's missing graduates' friends tried to stop him from jumping off party boat and into, quote, shark-infested ocean. And this was reported by the New York Times. Now, this story irritates me for a number of reasons. First off, the term shark-infested is rather insane to me because sharks live in the water. Uh, we don't really inhabit human-infested homes, so it doesn't really make sense. Uh, that's the first thing that irritates me is whenever I see shark-infested waters, they just live there. But... Another thing is that this entire situation was incredibly avoidable, but it seemed like every wrong decision this person can make, they did. So another this kind of tax on to shark safety here is why we're going to go over this. But for backstory, the graduate who I've decided to keep anonymous, even though you can find out who he is very easily because there are a million news stories on this, was on a party boat in the Bahamas with some friends and other recent graduates near a toll island when he decided he would jump off the boat. Now, when you decide to jump off, it was nighttime, which means it's dark. And as mentioned before on the pod, don't swim in the ocean or at bays at night. You can't see what's there. And even if there aren't sharks, it's still a very dangerous situation. You could get clapped by a wave, anything like that. There's just a lot of unknown going on. You can't see what's around you. It's not a smart idea. Now, according to reports, the graduate's friends tried to stop him from jumping off the boat, which he decided he was going to do it anyway. Uh, once in the water, a life ring was thrown in his direction, and once again, he decided to not do the smart thing, and as of typing, he's still missing because he swam in a different direction. Now, the article did go on to mention that the ship's crew did do all the proper man-overboard procedures, and this kid could have easily swam to that life ring, and this outcome could have been completely different. But instead, he decided he was going to jump off the boat, swim away from the life ring, and they don't know where he is. Now, as you may remember, my girlfriend and I recently went to the Bahamas, and every crew staff as well as excursion staff member were friendly and went over the proper safety protocols before we even went out onto the water. In this case, the party boat staff cannot be blamed for his disappearance, as they did do everything they were supposed to do, as followed up in the investigation. All I can do at this point is just hope for the best outcome and hope he's doing all right, wherever he may be. But if you are on a boat or any water, be smart. You can get hurt, and it is possible to find yourself in a dangerous situation, uh, but just remember the protocols that you were taught before starting and follow them to the best of your ability. Now, in the article, there are multiple videos, and people mentioned it appeared a shark-shaped animal was moving towards him, but in the videos, you don't really see anything besides the dark ocean below and around him. Now, is it possible that he was bit by a shark? Absolutely. You're in the Bahamas. There's a lot of sharks there. But you also don't hear about people getting bit by sharks every single day. So it's possible, but also maybe not. Now, sharks do tend to hunt at dawn and dusk. I don't know what time this took place. So it could have been right around then, which would mean that they are more active. Now, once again, could mean that they're curious and he could have jumped into a school of fish, not even known it. But I feel that the story was a little bit clickbaited by adding shark-infested waters to the title, as many of these news articles have done, which once again 
is a very stupid phrase. But that is my two cents on it. I'm hoping he is okay and that they just don't know where he is currently and he's on the island somewhere doing whatever. Um, hoping that they do end up finding him soon and I'm hoping that he is alive and well. And if I do get any follow-up news on that, I will hopefully have good news to report back to you guys. But the next one I have is that great white sharks near surfers 97% of the time in California waters study shows. This was by Surfer Magazine. So as I mentioned in previous episodes, you do not know when a shark might be around you, so it's always good to be vigilant and make smart choices. A new study from Cal State Long Beach's Shark Lab found that surfers often have unknown company, especially along Southern California. There's been an increase in juvenile great white sharks among San Diego and Santa Barbara, and as we all know, sharks do be curious, so they tend to investigate, although there have, have not been too many incidents involving sharks knocking surfers into the water. The study lasted two years across California beaches, and sharks tended to be within 50 yards of surfers, but there were actually no bites during the study at all, so they didn't even bump anyone off of the surfboard. Like I've mentioned before, sharks just like to vibe. They hang out. If they're curious, they'll look at you, and if they're even more curious, they might come bump you, but they tend to not just go in and bite people. I tend to get excited when I see information that I've said in the past is confirmed, so I have mentioned before, they're curious, and that's pretty much what they are here, but they don't mess with you. As always, none of this was aimed to scare you. This is arguably the most terrifying shark news segment I've ever done, but I've given you the tools in the past, and if you keep listening, there will be more tools in the future. Sharks aren't out here to eat people. It's not what they were put on this earth to do, and that's not what they're going to do in the future either. They usually don't know what we are, and they're trying to figure it out. And there's a solid chance that a small shark has been hanging out around you and you didn't even know it, or get bit. A lot of times sharks just are hanging out and people tend to be nearby and they'll look at you for a little while. They might circle around you a little bit, but they usually keep a distance because they can see a lot farther in the water than we can. So we usually don't even know they're there. But they usually are really small when they're around us, especially near shores. But when you surf, you go out a little bit deeper, which then includes the bigger sharks. So of course, as always, stay vigilant. Just keep an eye out and don't be afraid to keep doing the activities that you always do because you probably already encountered a shark and didn't even know it. But that's what I have for this episode. I still want to thank you all so much for listening. I think I hit the fastest 100 listens on the last episode ever, which was crazy. And it's just kind of wild to see the numbers keep going up. And I cannot thank you all enough for all that. Of course, if you want more updates, follow the Instagram at Deep Dives with Sharks or the Twitter at Deep Dive Sharks. I run polls, stuff like that. Um, also, send any suggestions, any comments, any fan mail. I do love all of that. And of course, if you find any cool shark things that you want to send my way that you think I'd appreciate, I'm also very happy to see them there. But I hope you all stay safe, have a great time, and I will see you in the next one.